You're listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Here are your hosts, Fran Chismar and Tom Knezic. In wildness is the preservation of the world. That quote is by Henry David Thoreau, and this, this is the Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast presented by Pinelands Nursery. I am Fran Chismar. And I'm Tom Knezic. Uh, We've taken this podcast in a lot of different directions the past few weeks, and regardless of the direction, the common thread has been native plants. Uh, Today, that direction is taking you to a higher consciousness. You know, that's kind of the direction we've been headed headed in since the beginning i kind of feel uh even if we didn't even realize it uh the changes have been coming little by little after each podcast and last week tom became a member of the national wild turkey federation i am now a proud member of new jersey audubon uh that happened this past week uh we've been slowly becoming aware uh even though we we both already work for a native plant nursery it's something that we do every day for a living so but sometimes you become a little detached from it uh just Mm -hmm. because it's it it is still work you know it's still still a job even you, even though you can become emotionally attached to it yeah and, you know. and we know a lot of these things are happening but we don't know the depth that they go into and and uh, some of the really impressive stuff that's going on that we might not get to hear about exactly sometimes you just kind of get pulled away a little bit so today we are going to be among and not above and all listeners and inhabitants of this world are of equal importance and it should not just be today it should be every day but if you woke up today and you were not in that place this show will be your starting line today. Yeah, it is, it's hard to talk about a lot of the issues that we face today uh, without becoming uh, without becoming an active participant in trying to fix them. There's so many things that are going wrong, and you always want to get your hands dirty and say, uh, "Let's let's make this better. <laughs> we can yeah. do something about this." Yeah. Um, but then when we're doing this podcast week after week, uh, regardless of the topic, the the one main theme has become loss of habitat, and it's a uh, it's really hard to not to start thinking about how I've contributed to that problem and what I can change to start fixing it. Uh, specifically with National Wild Turkey Federation, um, as if you listened last week, uh, we talked a lot about food plots. And now that I'm a member, I'm going to start saying, hey, on a national scale, they're using a lot of native plants. And even in New Jersey, they're using a lot of native plants. But I want them to use even more native plants in, uh, in those projects. And I'm looking to be an active participant in that. And... Um, uh, it's, it's really the good first step for me to take. And, um, like we're so often, we remove ourselves from the equation and, uh, but we still need to be participants in that. So, uh, the first place you can start is right in your own home. Yeah. So. It, you know, it's it, exactly. And sometimes you have to think outside the box from what's been handed down or ingrained upon us. A quote that I love is actually from today's guest. In fact, um, and that quote is, a design landscape that does not see beyond the human is a landscape that is devoid of the human. And, uh, you know, it, it's you, you start becoming like aware, like a realization, mm-hmm. and, and you realize that in general we tend to garden like zookeepers. We, we gather pretty things. We put them in cages for us to interact with them on our own terms. And, we you know, we're longing for this connection with, with nature, but we deprive ourselves of it on a very personal level. And that really – that distinction hit home for me when I met my fiance. So on our very first date, 
my fiance Agatha shared with me that she was, and I knew this ahead of time, but she was born in Poland and she had lived there um, until she was 10 years old. And she actually grew up on a farm in Southern Poland. And it was a very simple life for her. Um, they didn't even have running water. So she, she claimed <laughs> she spent her childhood running around barefoot, interacting with forests. Uh, part of her daily routine was foraging for mushrooms uh, and climbing trees for fruits and nuts. But when she turned 10 in the mid eighties, her mother brought her and her brother to live in the United States in in Camden, New Jersey of all places. Mm-hmm. So and, and Camden was is bad now, but it was really even much worse in, in the eighties. It was it was kind of a decayed urban remnant of once was what a thriving city. So from there she moved from Philadelphia and her mother decided to completely Americanize the family mm-hmm. and even changed her name from Agatha to Agatha. So she kinda it, it was very traumatic for her and and she so much that she felt like she has lived two separate lives and after she graduated college she decided that uh maybe her home was poland and she went back there and it only lasted six months (laughs) and she was like yeah i don't i don't really belong here anymore but times have changed and people change and but it, it really resonated with her every day and and um that guided even her choice of where she lives uh, she bought a property that connected to Timber Creek Preserve that also functions as a bird sanctuary. And she tries to reconnect and find that connect- connection with, with nature that that was a part of her life every day as a child. Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome to be able to connect the nature so close to your home. Uh, I was really fortunate growing up and, and still I'm still fortunate to be so close to places I can get outside into places where um, – it's not where no man stepped before. There's probably a lot of people have been there, but it's I'll oftentimes be the only one there. Even this morning, I went to the New Jersey Pine Barrens and I'm pulled into a trailhead. I'm the only person there. It's wow. um, it's a really unique experience. Just be the only person experiencing nature, and uh, unfortunately, there's some people who don't get to experience that. And um, especially if you live in an apartment or in a city and you got to travel, you're you're always going to have to travel to experience some nature. Mm-hmm. Um, even the best parks can't necessarily replicate it. To the full extent i agree but uh but that kind of brings us to today's guest and you can kind of if you own a little bit of property even if it's just a little postage stamp you might be able to bring a little nature into your own yard and um and i guess with uh without further ado i want to introduce our our next guest and uh he's a nature writer and entrepreneur and uh most importantly a listener request <laughs> probably yeah, our most requested yeah. most requested guest, so, guest yeah uh we want to bring him on so ben why don't you take a, a second to introduce yourself Hi, I'm Benjamin Vogt. Oh, do you want more? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, a little bit, you know. <laughs> uh, come on, we got to have fun with this a little bit. Um, <laughs> Seriously, I, it, it, I am. <laughs> you have, no. it, like, since we started this, people were telling mm-hmm. us from the very beginning that we had to have you on. So, you know, when we started this, you know, we honestly didn't feel we were ready to have a guest like you mm-hmm. on or that or that a guest like you would take take us seriously in this. So we were actually we're, – we're thrilled that we're at this point at mm-hmm. our podcast and that you've agreed to come on today. It was a big, big deal well, for us. Well, th- thank you. Um, I'm, I'm not the Pope, but I appreciate that. <laughs> and I, <laughs> now, if you, have, if, you have, if you have Doug Ptolemy on, he's, he's, more, he's more Pope-esque. <laughs> you might be a bishop, a bishop though. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so we got to okay. take it one okay. step at a time. <laughs> so. We're working our way up the ladder. Yeah. 
Uh, White Dust Go Back. I'm Benjamin. Hi, everybody. I'm out here. I'm out here in Lincoln, Nebraska, uh, where the prairie used to be, and now we have corn and cattle. Uh, I run a prairie-inspired garden design business. Um, so we're working working mostly with residential homeowners, um, usually urban, suburban uh, lots. Do some acreages, do some college campuses a little bit here and there. Um, and yeah, I'm a writer. I'm an author. I am a father of a precocious toddler. Awesome. So, That's a great stage. Yeah. That's a great stage. Uh, I actually so. I, I am fortunate enough in, in these times that right now both of my – I have two teenage boys that are both working at the nursery right now and, and getting to oh, – yeah. So they're – you know, I get to make sure they're safe and, and, and keeping safe, and at the same time they're getting to experience – you know what we do and it's it's they're at the age where it's it's hitting them a little bit which is nice so i'm enjoying having them close to me where i can keep an eye on them and and them appreciating uh this so i'm sure i'm sure just as a precocious toddler i'm sure how that toddler's being raised will resonate with them throughout their throughout their life Oh, if, if you're talking about, am I indoctrinating him in the prairie culture? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I assume, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, and he'll probably resent me, and then and then when he gets in his 20s, he'll be like, oh, that's really cool. I'm going to be a naturalist. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Either that or they'll have like a, a, a driveway lined with, with Bradford pears. <laughs> yeah. that oh, be- shut up. <laughs> no. <laughs> so I, I just finished reading your book, um, which has been on my list. It's it's just a, a busy time of the year for us, and there's a lot of things going on. So it it it, I was at a point where I think you 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 have to be ready for 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 you have to be in the right frame of thinking and be ready for it for it to to really oh, yeah. hit home. And and I was in that state. I know Tom's in that state. Mm-hmm. But one of the first things that we both marveled at was the photos of your property and the properties around your property. And we were curious wow. if it what what your neighbors think and if you've if you've managed if any of them have taken your leads. I don't want to say converted them, but if any of them questioned and started to experiment on their own with that. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> and how how long has Look, it been I, I, since you you started that? Well, the uh, the front yard, which which to me actually feels like the best space right now. This, especially when you get, can can see the uh, you know what's going on behind the front yard, which is just all manicured, perfectly green lawn. For as the eye as, can, as far as I can see, but I did that, and I think it was 2014 or 15 is when I I took out the lawn there. Okay. Um, but no, I get this question asked of me a lot, and I think everybody's surprised to hear my response. But you know, I I, I wish I could convert somebody. I think convert is the right word. I mean, just just to have foundation beds that are deeper than two feet would would you know overjoy my soul. Um, but yeah. no, I, I about about every year or two, I get a big orange sign staked into my landscape somewhere. So really, uh, you, you know, it's I. You know, and I wonder for me, and that's not something that's even common here. And you know, and I know we're in the Northeast, and it's a little bit different. We get enough rain that everything wants to become a forest if if you let it go a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, but you you start thinking of what your ideas of are of a garden and how they're what you used to growing up and what your family was used to and what their ancestors did. 
And I was, you know, a lot of times people consider natives as weeds and we have trouble or I shouldn't say we, there are people that have trouble interpreting natives in our landscapes. I was curious what you thought about, technically I was thinking about it, like, well, we're not native to here. We we brought home with us from Europe and Asia and Africa and, and uh, our ancestors brought their mentality of gardening and their, you know, a little piece of home as they left. Do you, do you think that has any play in, in how we view natives here today as far as even in our landscape and our gardens? Well, you know, even if I had a hosta and fern garden out front, I think people would still consider that as weedy and messy and, and all the other yeah. cliche words we have. Um, but, but, but of course our ancestors brought over what was familiar with them, familiar practices and, and, and familiar viewpoints and perspectives and plants and all that stuff. I mean, who, who, who wouldn't, right? You're, you're going to this strange place where you don't speak the language and you're just trying to, you're just trying to acclimate and assimilate. But, uh, you know, where our ancestors were also colonizing. So yeah. they weren't just assimilating, they were, <laughs> so there's this very complex history, right? And I think about this with my family too. I'm very well aware and I'm going to write a book on this someday, but my, my ancestors were, were Mennonite Germans who were living in Russia, and they came over in the 1870s to Kansas and Oklahoma, and they they did the land runs into Oklahoma and the Cheyenne and Arapaho reservation land when it opened up, and they just immediately started plowing up the prairie. So that really is literally my history, and I think about it and deal with it and think, how can I practice reconciliation ecology today and try and restore what my ancestors um destroyed even if it was unknowingly you know they didn't know about the ecology they didn't know what they were doing and i'm not going to blame them but the truth is there and it's obvious and we have a responsibility to shift the conversation now in the 21st century it it was a different world back then too you know it's and we've said it on here before a lot of what was done in the past there was no indicators i don't think it was even thought what the outcome would be if anyone was thinking 100 years down the road they were just thinking about surviving right Mm -hmm. now you know and it's yeah um unfortunately we're at the point where all of those things that have happened throughout our history here in the united states are are starting to to pile (laughs) pile up i guess is the best way to say it Mm. so yeah no go ahead no it's please go ahead i'm sorry no, I really have nothing to say. Go ahead. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's but the more we talk about this, and and obviously there are people that are passionate about the things that we're talking about, but a lot of the a lot of the people that you can have these conversations with automatically think it's a radical or you're a hippie or a tree hugger, and it's, um, you know, it's they're, maybe they're just not ready to see the big picture or what the effects are, or or maybe they didn't grow up that. You know, I grew up in a very suburban uh, condition. There were no woods where I grew up. Um, everything was already developed. You know, it was basically an extension of a city. It was one of the largest planned developments in the United States, and it's you know, so it took a while for me to get to that point to see certain things, um, to see that, and that, you know, I think people have a hard time coming to terms that every organism is equal uh, or to it's a shared place. And and the more I think about it, especially in this political climate, I, I'm wondering if people view that type of thinking as like a, a, a type of world socialism and maybe they're not ready for that. Maybe it's the connotation of it. I don't know your thoughts on that. 
we already live in a socialist country. We just don't know it. <laughs> I don't know how political you want to get. Um, we we can uh, we can talk as as much as you want. There's no off topics on this on this there's podcast. No off topic. No. You know, I, I think it's the same thing. Thinking about our ancestors who brought over plants and experiences and, and knowledge to make themselves feel comfortable. We have. We have this idea of, of what an urban landscape looks like, and, it, and it's familiar, and we know how to manage it. We know how to live and work in it. So anything different sort of disrupts our, 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 our perspectives and our expectations and, and puts us a little off kilter. I mean, there's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of psychology at play here that I try and touch on in my book, especially Chapter 3. Um, so whenever there's something new, I mean, of, of, of course it's radical, but radical means getting down to the root. So if I'm putting in, if I'm taking out lawn in somebody's front yard and putting in a prairie garden, you're darn right that's radical. Yeah. We are getting back down to the to the root of, of the environment here and taking care of the environment as well as we are creating something beautiful, even if we don't understand that concept of beauty yet, especially as far as it's beautiful for other species as well as us, at least 50-50 here. I agree. I agree. It's but it's still like you said it's radical cuz it's challenging how people live and how they think directly in a lot of respects. And and Tom and Tom was was born into a, a native plant nursery and I've been working at an uh in nurseries for almost my entire life and before I came to to Pinelands Nursery I was part of the ornamental aspect of the industry and I I I quickly learned I knew nothing about this side of the industry like it was it was almost like i left industries and changed my profession yeah and it's i'm a, I'm a member of our uh, new jersey nursing landscape association and it's so evident to me how we get to interact with different science and scientists and and experts than conventional horticulture does and uh a lot of the information contradicts itself <laughs> yeah because we have nurs- <laughs> we have nurseries in new jersey fighting invasive species bills because yeah, bill, they yeah bills to ban invasive species and we're actually getting a lot of pushback about that because they've been growing them for a hundred years and they want to keep growing they don't understand <laughs> yeah. that barberry's invasive they don't get mm-hmm. it they don't they don't see it they've been growing it forever and it's because it's challenging who they are their their livelihood yeah. um yeah. so it, so it's radical in in that respect but i think your book as at, in general is radical because it's it's challenging people to to see the facts and the science, mm-hmm. which I think to me it's a topic that people get emotional about and and oh, yes. dismiss the science and and act on pure emotion. Well, of course we do. I do, and I, certainly in the early days of roughly formulating what was going to be this book, I was very emotional as well. Um, and that's okay. It's okay to be emotional. It's it's not okay to call other people names or or belittle them in in, in the act of being emotional. But mm-hmm. but being emotional is is it's totally human. It's totally natural, and it's the first step in processing and understanding and thinking more critically about a topic. So we don't have to d- dismiss being emotional. We just don't have to be you know jerks about it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's hard because you know it's. It, we talked about it on our last podcast that mm-hmm. we we find in a lot of social media groups that it it gets out of control and it, there's bullying and down talking and it's oh yeah and it's it's hard you know and I you know I know what we face sometimes I can, I you know I would imagine that you face it too with just expressing some of those views where people are just angry because they don't agree yeah. um, 
you know that well anger is anger is one of the first steps in, in, in processing grief and that yeah. is very much what we're doing right now we're processing <laughs> environmental grief yeah yeah so, and you know we're we we try to encourage um all ends of the conversation because in the end if you have a good conversation about it that's when people's minds open up and their ears open up and and you can you have the ability to to connect in some way and you, you know, one of the things that we find is with having the conversations, people disconnect themselves from it that, you know, with the science behind it, they're easy to dismiss it. Like all the, the talk where people are like, ah, oh, climate change isn't real. Um, I don't believe it. But you, you see these things happening to us just on a local level. For us here in the Northeast, um, we have spotted lanternfly uh, that mm-hmm. came over and they're thriving because they're – their favorite food tree of heaven is invasive here and is all over. So they're come over and they feel at home. We've had, uh, the murder bees up in, uh, Washington that they're here and they thrive on honeybees and (laughs) you know, they're here and, and thriving in full there. There's a science behind why these things are happening and how they're, they get out of control. But I think people disconnect from it. And I, I know you touch on that in your book a little bit. Why do you think that it's, do you think it's something deeper? Like, is there? I, I don't know how to say it. Like, well, a, we've uh, already been talking about it a little <laughs> bit. It's, it's it's a self protection mechanism mm-hmm. from from experiencing too much reality and having overload, especially when it's when it's overload that can make you be afraid or feel feel some level of grief or, or something like that. Mm-hmm. So there's this there there's this ingrain. I mean, it, it's a very primal force that's going on in our mind, right? That's saying, "Oh, now I need to deny this because it's just totally freaking me out and stabilizing <laughs> stabilizing my worldview." And that's totally again, that's totally natural, just like being emotional. Well, s- since you've you've published the book, and I, I know you you do speaking engagements, are are you over time? Have you become better received? I know it's hard sometimes when you're doing speaking engagements because a lot of times your book. And you know the audience is going to be receptive to what you're talking about right. based on the engagement. But have you seen a change since since the book has been published? Maybe not so much via speaking engagements because I certainly am almost always preaching to the choir. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes I presented at events where it's more landscape and nursery professionals, and then it's, it's not so much the choir. It's more the status quo. Um, but I think I've noticed – maybe just in general, a change. I'm an introvert, so I'm at home 99,000% of the time. <laughs> um, so, so most of my social interaction is, is online and yeah. via social media. And actually, I mean, this is where this book came from, from conversations and just, you know, incredibly intense arguments with people, with nursery professionals and designers and, and all these folks over the years. That's where the book, book came from. But even online, I've noticed there's sort of a... I, I don't really want to paint a dichotomy here, but it's what yeah. humans do. It's how we make sense of the world. We, we see things black and white, but we sort of have this, we have the Pete, we have the Pete out all side and we have the Doug Colony side. Mm-hmm. And, and they're both, they're both the two sides of the same coin. There, yeah. There's, there's a lot of mixing and matching, but I, you know, maybe back around 2015, like, you know, a lot of the Adolf people are like, Ptolemy's an idiot, and all the Ptolemy people are like, well, Adolf just doesn't get it. <laughs> and, 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 now, and now you're starting to see these people sort of, you know, the, these ideas are starting to fuse and come together and intermingle a little bit more, and I definitely noticed that uh, among more vocal proponents of both of these perspectives and, and, 
especially among professionals. So one, that's sort of encouraging. It is. Mm-hmm. You know, I, actually, one of the things that I noticed that I mentioned to Tom is that some of the works uh, that you mentioned in your book towards the end were they're getting better at integrating uh, human and, and wildness together are are companies that I don't necessarily associate with that type of work, (laughs) you know, and it's, I was like, Oh, I, I know this one company was, you know, very famously known for full drafts of just one plant, you know, and it's to see even those design companies change their way of thinking to approach works like that is very encouraging. Yeah, it's very encouraging now, but you know, that's still the tip of the iceberg, right? We need to be getting what, you know, the 95% of landscapers that are out there, the, the suburban mow and blow um, companies who just put, you know, a 20 yards of mulch out there and three daylilies mm-hmm. and call it a day. Yeah, and it's, you know, having come from the other side of the industry, I understand some of their arguments too because it's um, – people are, are very quick to defend selections or varieties. And, and I – over the years, I've done it myself um, – having sold street trees and you think of all these harsh urban environments um in the northeast Mm -hmm. and new york city and philadelphia and washington dc the average life of a street tree is six to seven years old and chicago it's four years and you can argue that that plants don't have time to evolve or adapt they need to be urban tolerant now and you know but if you think about it you're just really putting a band-aid all the all these things you're not really fixing the problem that's that's killing these trees Mm -hmm. you're just coming up with a solution to prolong the inevitable um and i don't know what well, it, sure i mean we, we certainly need to be addressing climate change now <laughs> but we're not yeah. um we can keep breeding trees that are more urban urban tolerant but you're right it's just a band-aid and i know a lot of people think i'm just this super strict native plant purist and well oh hell i am <laughs> but uh but you know there are always cut there are there are always caveats there are always gray areas and so when you think about cultivars and hybrids and selections or whatever i i I think especially when you're thinking street trees you you know you maybe you can't put a baroque in downtown chicago yeah so let's let's find something else that's fine because it is going to be serving other important purposes um, besides being a host plant for lepidoptera so yeah you know it's you know i i worked for for two nurseries between the two of them that probably held more patents on varieties and selections than the rest of the nursery industry. I worked for Princeton Nurseries and Star Roses. Um, you know, and it's funny, even you look back through the the history of Star Roses, that nursery was founded on the on two facts that people are passionate about roses, but they're short lived and they'll when they die they'll buy more. And yeah. if you keep coming out with new varieties, they'll buy them mm-hmm. all. Um and that was the main philosophy of, of the starting point of that nursery. So it's what the conversations that we're having are directly challenging ways of life and, and people's income streams. So I can understand why they would get emotional and defend oh, it. Ab- ab- absolutely. I mean, it's the same sort of larger global conversation we're having right now about capitalism and, and, and how it's literally killing not just ecosystems, but people. So I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's all very related. So I guess – I guess my next question is, and one of the things is, you know, I think people believe that to nature, a lot of people think that no one should experience suffering. So even though we have a connection with nature, as you mentioned in your book, we're kind of scared of it and it can be a harsh environment. You kind of disconnect yourself a little bit or you keep it at arm's length. So um, 
we're, we're, we're still afraid of it. So what do you think people can do a starting point to bridge that gap? What's, what's a good first step to, to get people moving in that direction? Oh my God, that's a hard question. <laughs> just uh, one step. It's not. How, how do we? I didn't. I didn't ask you to solve it. I just asked you to to point someone in the right direction. I don't know how to point someone in the right direction because there are so many directions to go into. I mean, yeah. I, I'm like, well, maybe you need to read some Buddhist and Taoist thought because <laughs> that's, that's sort of where I'm coming from a little bit here. Yeah. Um, suffering. Suffering is part of the world, and of course, we don't want to suffer. I mean, I this. This will maybe seem banal to some people, but I, I lost my cat of 19 years two months ago, and I'm still incredibly suffering. It's incredibly painful. It's like when I lose a family member, yeah. a close family member. Um, but I have found that if I do not embrace that pain, if I don't work through it, I'm prolonging it and making it worse down the line. So I always tell people, and I think I say this in the book somewhere too, you know, um, wh- let your heart break, foster your heart breaking, because that. That, that shows how much empathy and compassion you have for yourself, for others, other humans, other birds, or you know, birds and all that stuff. So um, let your heart be broken and know that's a testament of, of your faith and, and your compassion. And that's, that's really – that's a huge step for, I think – Obviously, you didn't you didn't make that leap overnight. That that comes in time. No, no, no. You, you know, yes. and it's. Um, but that's a great step. I think that's what hopefully everyone strives towards. You would you would hope. You know, I because I think we we see nature as observers and not participants uh, a lot of the time. Or you know, it's it's something you can change. Um, you know, it's actually it, it was funny because one of the conversations Tom and I just had yesterday was. As a human, you know, you want to think on a higher level and do things that help nature or other other species. But not every species thinks about everyone else when they're interacting in nature. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I guess, yeah, That's the conversation true. was um, like a, a wolf isn't considering the welfare or well-being of uh, – of the, it's the, the deer, yeah. the prey, whatever it's going after, it's not thinking about everything else. It's just not thinking about what benefits itself. And uh, I don't even remember why we were talking about. I, I don't either. But <laughs> it was a good friend. But it was something we were talking about. <laughs> but it's 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 challenging to. At what point do you do you think above that, or do you think you know above your interaction? Like it's mm-hmm. we're trying to say is is sometimes can it be too much? Like can you yeah. do too much i don't know i i we i maybe we were over analyzing this but that's a good conversation to have oh no you can't over analyze no, <laughs> no, no, no. but i mean like no, if, uh, if, if you're doing too much is it just as harmful i mean i i'm gonna say no right now because we have so far to go yeah, to even yeah. get to half that right yeah so I, when you're talking about a wolf not not considering what they're doing in the ecosystem well of course they're not i mean mm-hmm. you can't i hope you're not comparing that to humans because <laughs> we have a very we have a very special place here and a very special responsibility and that should strengthen us and give us mm-hmm. hope well you know it's funny because you even mentioned in your book about you know we we still have things that we do like we we turn on the air conditioning we we do certain things that maybe you would think you know we drive cars you know maybe you can make those choices a little smarter but you know we still 
are going to log. We're still going to, uh, you know, there's certain practices that we take for granted from nature mm-hmm. that I don't think will ever change because mm-hmm. maybe we need those to survive. Yeah, and and I'm going to step back a little bit just because it, it's got the crawl on my side when people say, "Oh, you you're this you're this tree hugging hippie." Actually, I don't <laughs> hug trees; I burn them. I live in the prairie. <laughs> um, but uh, they, you know, so they say, "Well, I bet you drive a car." I'm like, "Well, of course I do. What else am I going to drive?" Yeah. You know, my my decision to drive my car less is not going to save the environment. Mm-hmm. I need to be I need to be working to change the the larger industrial capitalist society so that we don't have to rely on cars so we have high-speed rail so we have you know so we just mm-hmm. change things on this bigger scale because me driving less isn't going to change anything it might make me feel better but it's not really going to mm-hmm. add up to more than one one thousandth of a percent no i agree you have to you have to foster something that either a makes everyone drive less uh or like a smarter way like better better transit or or b you you find ways to make people work from home like i really feel like once we're done with the COVID 19 things are going to change drastically i don't think there is any going back to normal everyone's finding a new way to do business and they're they're finding there's better ways (laughs) and it's Mm. you know it it, maybe that's like a small silver lining in in all the the bad things that are going on is that it may make us do things smarter as we move forward. So, so Ben, I want to I want to take us probably way back and um, sure. your mindset today. Well, it wasn't always your mindset. What uh, what made you start to think like this, and even so much that you wanted to write a book about it? But it it originally started. You know, when we bought this house back in 2007, it was, it was a new house, totally blank slate, and I just I told my wife I just wanted to go nuts and have a garden. And, you know, 1,500 square feet was absolutely nuts for me at that time because I, I didn't have more than maybe 50 square feet ever in wow. my life. I grew, I grew up with a mom who gardened, gardened like crazy. She was always outside, probably escaping her family, but that's what we do. <laughs> um, so I was just getting any plant at the nursery that 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 uh, the tag said would would take clay soil uh, and full sun conditions and i happened to pick up you know a swamp milkweed because it had a butterfly symbol on it i'm like oh yeah i'd like to have butterflies in the garden that sounds cool i really didn't know what i was doing um and then i saw caterpillars eating the leaves and i'm like oh my god that's a 15 dollar plant it's almost totally defoliated <laughs> You know, I'm halfway back from the from the garage with some sort of nasty chemical in my hand, and I say, you know what? I'm a little bit more curious about this. So I went inside and Googled, and and you know, down the rabbit hole you go, right? And yeah. You start thinking about your plants in different ways. These are ecosystem services. They are providing home and habitat for others, and it, it, it's just not cool. I mean, it's not only cool; it's it's really liberating to your thinking when you start start gardening in this way and I, I always tell people just just plant a smooth aster or a New England aster and, and watch it in the fall. Just mm-hmm. sit out there for twenty minutes and watch it. You will you will be changed forever seeing what comes to that plant to to get to get pollen and nectar. Yeah. Oh it's, yeah. And it's at a time of year where it's really important too. You're getting towards the end of the year and mm-hmm. I just hit home I you know, here at the nursery, when we started producing for seed um, seed sales and some of the first fields like Minarda punctata, like blew everyone's mind when that was in yeah. bloom and you saw the pollinators that it attracted like nonstop. It was just I think I think that was a real eye opener for everyone to to see that. 
just the interaction. I, I will. I will sometimes have people, even at conferences today, ask me, you know, I've, I've got this plant and it's got lots of leaf damage. What is there anything I can, what, is, what, what can I do to control the leaf damage? And I say, man, I want your plant to be 100% defoliated. Are you kidding? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's not the answer they're expecting, yeah. I don't think. So, so what, how long did it take you to com- uh, completely transform your yard um, from just that? 1500 square feet to to everything oh i'm still working on it man i think i still got a couple hundred square feet of lawn so um i uh, see it started in 07 with 1500 and i probably got about five or six thousand now so wow wow and has how you've been been gardening changed over that what's that 15 so. year span I can't do math either. Yes, yeah, that, was, totally. that was not the right <laughs> yeah. I, I just nodded. I'm like, yeah. I'm not even going to correct you. Long time since high school calculus. <laughs> yes, the way I garden has, has certainly changed, and it's certainly changed um, in part because of how I'm working with clients and doing their landscapes. But when I started, you know, I was I was buying one gallon pots and just and just putting them in the in the ground, and I wasn't thinking so much about plant communities and how plants are working together above and below ground, how they fit together in these ecological niches and and the wildlife they're supporting. But I, I was also doing it in a very expensive way. Mm-hmm. You know, if you buy a one gallon pot and you know if you buy 200 of them to fill a space you know my god you're bankrupt you got to take out a third mortgage <laughs> um, so so i definitely definitely switched to a combination of using uh plugs and seeding um, as 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 a way to put a landscape together so uh, I, you know even even in my backyard i've got i had 2000 square feet of fescue lawn and i neglected it so it was getting patchy and brown i just scalped it one year put a couple hundred plugs in overseeded it and now i've got a meadow I, you know, I'm a big fan of the plug, you know, just as a nurseryman, you know, the smaller the plant, the quicker the transplant, you know, and it's, oh, uh, yeah. It, yeah. It, it, it takes really well. I'm a big fan of, you can get mm-hmm. way more bang for your buck going small. Uh, by the end of the year, they're all, they're all pretty close. Yeah, to yeah especially with herbaceous yeah. plants. Yeah. They seem yeah. to really mm-hmm. take off. Exactly. Quickly. You know, for us here, the only issue is when you deal small, you're, you're dealing with such huge deer populations yeah. that yeah. sometimes mm-hmm. they you, you have to go quantity mm-hmm. to such large numbers to make it through so so when you're uh, transforming your yard at what point did you get to where you're like you know what i really need to write a book so other people can, can <laughs> learn about this too no that's that, that's not how it worked at all man. <laughs> because, I mean, this, book, this book is not this book is not a how to right this book is a book is very much a philosophical why yeah, yeah. and it's, it's and a coming of age earlier you gotta yeah i mean you I, i've had people tell me that, you know after they read a, a chapter they gotta like put it down for a couple of days and just try and process it mm-hmm. and soak it in because it's just it's just so heavy okay. um, and i'll so even say that wasn't so much when when fran so, was reading yeah. the book that's what he would come the in and he's first, like you know i read like 20 pages and i was like i just couldn't read anymore i need to just stop and process and do it again I, and i'm a fast reader so i'd started reading it uh once it saturday i'm like i'll be done by the time we we have this interview and uh but no fran was right i would get like 10 pages and i'm like man that's a lot to process and it, just it really was think about I, it there were there were nights where literally i read five pages and had to put it down and and just yeah. think about it so which is 
good. That's good. That's, that's good. That's very good. Well, and, and and I think I think part of the issue too is I I I have a creative writing degrees in writing poetry, so I'm okay. kind of like. You know, I'm just thinking 30 lines at a time, right? That's how my brain works. So. <laughs> but, you know, it, it grabs a hold of you. It wasn't, you know, and you know this, it wasn't just like you read through it real quick and you're like, okay, no, mm-hmm. it really makes you stop yeah. and think and process, mm-hmm. which I really enjoyed about mm-hmm. that. And th- like I said, this is something that we do for a living and we know the benefits and it still mm-hmm. made me think of things in a way that I hadn't thought of them before. That is so good to hear. It yeah. makes me feel good. So the um, as you do this with your, your yard, do you find it easier over the years to find native plant material of local ecotype, like where you buy plants? Well, local ecotype, you had to throw that qualifier in, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, it's hard but that's important. That's it, that's I mean, no, it, it, it is, and... It's it's not hard for me as a garden designer to find native plants because I have relationships with wholesalers. So mm-hmm. I mean that's that's not an issue. But and we do have a new local native plant nursery that just started up, and they're they're trying to use as many um, local ecotype seeds as they can. But the local ecotype is really hard to find, and it's also significantly more expensive as mm-hmm. it probably yeah. should be. Yeah. So I can't come to I can't go to a client and say, "Hey, we can do this job for ten thousand dollars." But if you want to what really be environmental about it, we can make it twenty thousand dollars. Know, what are they going to go for? Yeah, you, you know, I think there's a lot of obstacles with it because garden centers really it's it's not the heyday of the garden center anymore. Uh, they really fight no. uh, uh, the big the big mass mass chains. So it's you know, and those mass chains don't even pay for the material until someone scans it at the register so if it sits in their lot for six months they're not paying for it they had no investment a lot of the times the nurseries will actually go and care for the plants at the chains mm-hmm. so you know garden centers are trying to compete and they don't necessarily you have to have a a very educated staff to explain to someone why the summer suite that is native isn't yeah. pruned as nicely as the one that's ruby spice and it's a variety and you know, because not everyone is educated or there yet, so they don't have the time or the the resources to do that. And I think it's just easier for them to not do it. <laughs> and and you're right, and it's more expensive because you're going out, you're collecting local seed, you're you're propagating it, you're you're doing all that. So it's there's a lot of challenges um, to do that. So you really have to I think look hard to find those those local ecotype plants, native plants. And and you have touched on something with nurseries, and I, I am certainly an outsider. I do not know anything uh, nearly as much as you guys do, but it, it just seems to me as sort of a nursery outsider that, that nurseries really need to find a way to almost become more niche or, or pivot mm-hmm. in some different way because the t- traditional model is not working. Am I wrong? No, it's it's changed. And, you know, even after the last recession, the, the large nurseries weren't able to make it through. So, like, even the day of, like, the, the – huge large nursery is is over um and it it really is like you know we've been fortunate that we have a niche that's that's native plants but everyone's trying to look for their their niche to survive of of a corner of the market they can fulfill you know and you know amp up what's unique about them instead of adding what's Mm -hmm. commonplace you know which is which is easy to do but it's um yeah, is it? It's, well, <laughs> well it's, it, it's it's easy to add what's commonplace, not not not. Okay, yeah, but gotcha. That's, okay, yeah. but you know, it's 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 hard, and I think it's I think more people have to speak up that that's the material that they're looking for, and I think those numbers are getting larger over time. Like we're we're definitely seeing it. 
Well, then I, I always hear the argument too. Sometimes when I'm, when I'm speaking at conferences and talking with with nursery and landscape professionals afterwards, they they say it's a, it's all about it's all about market demand. Mm-hmm. What it, what it, what are consumers asking for? And I'm like, well, if you're not educating them, I, I don't know. I just I just feel this great great disconnect. I'm not saying you have to convert them to native plants, mm-hmm. but it, it's not just about consumerism for from this that that viewpoint to me. No, I agree because it, it, if if everyone's asking for for DDT because it works, yeah. <laughs> you know that doesn't mean ethically you sell it to them because that's what they want. You know, it's it's an education process, but mm-hmm. education is is costly, and it's it's all part of a process. But if you can change the thinking yeah. and and have people work that way over time, you hope that that you can change it. So it's I I think your book is very revolutionary because you're challenging people's way of thinking not just here's the science and this is why you should do it it's really you you really go through <laughs> like all the stages of grief and and all the arguments against it so it's in in a way it's a very challenging book and i i'm curious over time like have you had a negative response at all from someone that's read it that's like wow this is way too much or this is oh yeah absolutely yeah, I'm I, I'm just a I'm a total idiot and I don't get it. But <laughs> it, 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 I, I no, I I have definitely made a lot of I I probably made a lot of people more angry and pissed off than I know. But my dad always says it's better to be pissed off than pissed on. So that's <laughs> sort of the logic I go with. I, I had somebody once tell me my book is like a hand grenade you throw in the room and just see what happens. <laughs> and that's always that's. <laughs> But that's always how I taught. I, I I taught in college for fifteen or so years, and I would I would always bring in these really tough subjects, these tough perspectives into the classroom. I'd just have my students debate it for an hour in front of each other, and they always started out angry and emotional and just wanting to hit each other. And then by the end, we you know we were all, well, we weren't all hugging, but you know we had all understood each other's perspectives and found out there was a, a lot of a lot more common ground than than, than we realized. And I think. Over the years that I've been presenting at conferences, I've found a lot more common ground even than, than I thought was going to be there. So that's been wonderful. That That is wonderful. One of the things – there were a lot of quotes I found myself highlighting in your book, mm-hmm. and it was, it, was, it was kind of fun to, to read it on Kindle and see what the most popular highlighted yeah. <laughs> passages were. That's – I really enjoy – I don't know if – have you ever done that? To go I've never done that. No, that sounds neat. Yeah, if you go through Kindle, it will tell you how many times a passage has been highlighted. So huh. – which I thought was really int- – I didn't even know that was a, a thing. So um, – but one of the passages that I highlighted was – if our landscapes all look the same from state to state and country to country using the same plants in the same way, then we lose our sense of self, place, and compassion for our community as a whole. And I wasn't the only person that highlighted that one. And I realized while reading it and and enjoying your perspective, um, I'd never seen a prairie in, in my life. And I've, I've traveled, and that's not something I've ever experienced, and I take for granted as a New Jersey resident – um, that not everyone's seen a salt marsh or the ocean yeah. um, or sand dunes or even uh, pine barrens. And it, it kind of – that became a reality for me here when we get phone calls from people saying, oh, I'm in trouble with the DEP because I bought this beachfront house and I removed the dunes and the vegetation because it was blocking my view 
of the ocean, you know, not realizing that that's the thing that's saving them from mm-hmm. from hurricanes and storms. Um, yeah, yeah. And they're just not aware of of what it is. So, how important do you feel it's it is for everyone to explore experience in, in other ecotypes than where you live? I, I think it might have to be along the lines of you know it's it, it's important to travel to other places, other countries, and see other cultures and get to know them a little bit because it really opens up opens up your mind and your heart a lot and you can you come back home with this new perspective and you, you're looking at your own life in a lot of powerful ways and maybe change some things so i think i i have been really really lucky that people read my book number one <laughs> number two that they email me and say hey would you come speak at our conference and then number three i get to see a bunch of these different ecosystems if even only for a day or two i was i was in new mexico a year or two ago and i was just blown away it is it is an amazing place mm-hmm. i want to go spend weeks there um now i was in i was in new york last year and i was totally terrified i was in upstate <laughs> new york and there's just there's trees everywhere there's yeah. trees like three feet away from you there's trees you know talking to you i felt very claustrophobic <laughs> uh, I, I need to be able to see the tornado coming from the horizon and i couldn't do that it was well, it was still beautiful, though. It was still yeah. beautiful. It was still gorgeous. And that was um, in Indian Lake, I think? Or I forget exactly no, what God, time. Where, I remember seeing it, it on was, your agenda. Oh, North Creek. It North was, Creek, it was yeah. North Creek. That, and that's a really, really, for listeners at home who haven't been to North Creek, New York, it's uh, it's a ways away where you're not going to find a lot of people there, but it's a really, really beautiful no. place. So, yes. It, yeah. it's you know and 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 i really can take away anytime i've traveled if i i've got to see yeah. some of the local ecosystems you know one of the things i was just enjoying your perspective of what made you fall in love with nebraska mm-hmm. i actually had no idea that there were saline wetlands yeah. in nebraska that Fran, was you great. ruined this for me yeah. i was gonna i was gonna put we you on the spot here <laughs> yeah tom's gonna debunk something <laughs> but, in one of our videos yeah. go ahead but i'm I, i'm actually gonna go back for one second and say I'm going to debate your your last question frame that about exploring other ecotypes okay. because I almost think we don't spend enough time exploring our own ecotype and um, yeah. even what I was doing this morning I said I went down to the Pine Barrens and just kind of was walking around and I saw so many things it's a place I've been going since I was a kid and I'm sure I ran around but I wasn't noticing plants at that point and when I was walking around today I probably haven't walked in some of those trails in like 10 years and i just noticed so many unique things that i didn't even know were there and uh yeah we, while it's good to see some of this other stuff it, you really need to examine how many people in new jersey know when they're going to atlantic city to go gamble that they're going through a really productive salt <laughs> marsh it's they don't <laughs> you you're gotta right. no, you're enjoy right. some yeah. of the stuff at home too and and i'll even add that until this whole social distancing thing there's songbirds that i never noticed that i'm sure i've you know i've been living in new jersey over 20 years and i'm just hearing birds and seeing birds that i've never seen or heard before because i didn't look and i didn't listen but but anyway fran ruined my moment here (laughs) where i was going to put him on the spot so we we started a series called whiteboard ecology where we're kind of going through the idea was to have some of our guests do it when we were having them in studio but now we can't have them in studio we'd actually go and do like a micro ecology lesson on one little thing like i did one on what is a native plant which isn't really that little of a thing but we had someone talk about why succession ecological succession was important and um mm-hmm. talk about provenance and uh and it was actually when fran was talking about provenance he was saying well when you have 
uh, a, I a think you were talking flag, about a course, right? Yeah. And it has um, it's salt tolerant on the East Coast. But if you took a, a plant from, and I think he was just picking a random flyover state, and I he's like, it. "Oh, if you took one from Nebraska, is it going to be salt tolerant?" Probably. And then not. reading your book, we found out about the <laughs> salt marshes in Nebraska. So I, I immediately was like, "Oh no, we have to take my video down." <laughs> <laughs> I look like an idiot. <laughs> but can you tell us a little bit about that? Because it's a really unique. You don't think about oh. salty conditions in the interior of the country. Yeah, I and I, I really should know more than I do because it's a really big deal here among ecologists and mm-hmm. biologists. We used to have a lot more uh, saline wetlands here in Lancaster County around around the capital, Lincoln, Nebraska. But obviously, a lot of that's been been lost to development and, and agriculture. But we have uh, an endangered beetle, the Salt Creek tiger beetle, and we even have where our, our local zoos are actually growing them and, and releasing Whoa. them oh, wow. into the in, into these places. And um, I think, oh, I don't want to say too much and make myself sound like an idiot to, to people who, who live nearby. I, I need to do more reading over the saline wetlands. Um, it, it used to be a great salt, uh, source of salt um, mm-hmm. way, way back when, obviously, so. You I'm know, sure that didn't help. Well, we we didn't, we were working on a project up in Syracuse, New York, and they were buying all these salt marsh plants. We're like, oh, that these are salt marsh plants. These aren't going to work. They're like, no, that's Syracuse used to be called the Salt City. <laughs> There's a lot, large underlying uh, salt layer. Yeah, and, and, and it was actually groundwater uh, would kind of get pushed down and then come up, and they'd have a Onondaga Lake yeah. was uh, had salt marshes and a lot of salicornia. Yeah, is what I remember. Yeah, so it was kind of. It, it just amazes me yeah. every every day. I learn how much I don't know, it's, which is a lot. It's, it's, it's becoming well, increasingly okay, guys, a lot. Guys, get you guys need to take a road trip. Come out here. We'll look yeah. at the sand hills, and uh, you can visit see the sand hill cranes in the spring, and just, uh, have a good time. I would love that. Yeah. I would love that. How how long were you living in Nebraska before you had that realization moment? Um, that road trip that you talked about in your book. Uh, when was that road trip? Oh, oh, geez, was that 2014 or? Everything blurs together when you hit your 40s, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> and especially now, right when you're stuck at home and it's the same thing day after day. Yeah. Uh, I think it was about 2014. My my, we usually go up to Minnesota over uh, the Independence Day weekend to hang out with my family, but my mom had recently had spinal surgery, so we had to cancel that last minute. So we just decided, you know, like literally two days before, hey, you know what? We've never just driven around Nebraska. Why don't we do that? And we should have done it years before because I've been living here 11 years and I really haven't oh, wow. seen much of Nebraska. So we just did a whirlwind three-day trip and just went all the way around Nebraska and saw some of the, I guess, key, keystone sites that, mm-hmm. that, that Nebraska is known for. And that was, it was really eye-opening. It, it made me realize even more fervently that I want to live by myself as a hermit in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> because if you got, you know, the sand, the sand hills are pretty sparse. That's about a quarter of the state. It, it's just sand with grass on top. So there's really, mm-hmm. there's really, you know, you can't do much with that besides doing some cattle grazing. And so there's sparse uh, farmhouses here and there and then you go way out to the west and it's starting to get rocky or you're getting close mm-hmm. to the mountains and there's all these escarpments and you will be on a road and you won't see anybody for 20 30 minutes and it's just dead silent if you stop the car pull over and and, and just just walk out there and listen that it, it's, that it's, i marvel it was, at it was very 
Yeah, I, I did too. I'd never experienced something like that before. I've always lived in a city. You, you can get that in the Pine Barrens in New Jersey, but uh, it's you, still you, get hard. That, you get that feeling <laughs> of being scared. <laughs> I think it's it's uh, it's you know there's there's certain parts of the Pine Barrens that seriously like you almost think that you're you're down south. Mm-hmm. You're you're in like uh, different parts of the south. You forget what country. What uh, state you're in for for a while? That's but amazing. We'll have to have you. You need to come to New Jersey. We, you know, everyone thinks of the shore, uh, the beaches, but you know, Northwest New Jersey, it's it's very mountainous, mm-hmm. and there's a lot. Of, Delaware Water Gap is a great place, and uh, we have the Pine Barrens. There's a lot of a lot of very cool and all the the tidal infrastructure around, and like uh, the bays and and all that salt it's, marshes. Yeah. We'll, we'll we'll trade. I, we'll come visit, yeah. and then you have to come visit. <laughs> I'll trade. I don't know. I think I'll just stay here. <laughs> so, you know, for, uh, for all the things that we've talked about, and I, you know, and it, it can be a very heavy subject, but it to me, it's a, it's a very uplifting subject. It's it's a it's a very happy subject for me of all the things that you know. You can easily focus on all the things that we've done, but there's a great light at the end of the tunnel where we can make a change. You can. You can see a difference, and it, you can start in your own yard. It, if you could sum it up, and I know it's difficult, to one main point that you could instantly get across to the general public and have them walk away with it, what would it be? Stop the lawn? Um, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Can you, if, if you live on a quarter-acre lot, you actually have a, a lot of land that is going to be incredibly meaningful to all sorts of wildlife that are coming through either on, on wing or leg and, and they might stay for a long time or they might not but you're also setting sort of a, a precedent and, and, and an example other people are going to drive by and they might stop to slam on their brakes and glare at you evilly which happened <laughs> to me a couple of days ago but but, but you, you're, you're, you're starting you're starting this transition it, it's the same how every social justice movement has ever been in, in, in our species history you have to start by pushing the envelope a little bit and taking the risk and you can do that in your landscape and it's actually a safe space so plant that aster plant that milkweed rip out 3,000 square foot of lawn you'll get there eventually it's okay baby steps it, it, you know and it's it's funny because like the the back section of my property is all wetlands and every every year I add some species to it and try to make it a little more diverse it's it's almost all soft rush and lurid sedge right now but it's uh you know but a lot of people will come over and see that and they see the snakes that it brings to the <laughs> to the to the property yeah. or all the negative aspects not realizing that all the the positive aspects snakes bring to the ecosystem mm-hmm. um you know, it's it's just a challenging perspective uh, to get everyone to, Snake, to view. snakes, snakes, wasps. Oh God, yeah. People, are, I don't want to have snakes. I don't want to have wasps. Yes, you do. <laughs> and by the way, you want you want that you want that tree defoliated too. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So we, before I forget, we were actually stalking your Twitter today, um, and in your Uh-oh. agenda, no, in, in, in your agenda of things that you were doing today, one of the items was writing a book. So. Are you able oh, to talk yeah. about that at all? Well, I just signed the contract this morning, so I guess I can. Oh, wow. I, I still not I still not 100% sure what the title is. Here, let me go. Um, da, 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 give me a second. I have to go find it. All right. <laughs> it, 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 well, it's something like because the title keeps changing, but in, in spring of 2022, I'll have a new book out called Prairie Up, an Introduction to Natural Garden Design. Oh, so it, it's, very, it's sort of going to be built as a very beginner-level um approach to 
I'm, I'm just going to throw P. Outall's name out there again because a lot of people come to me and say, I want my yard to look like that. Well, you probably can't do that because he's doing these huge gardens. Yeah. But if you want to do a more natural-based landscape where you have these native plant communities intermingling and, and working on weed suppression, doing all the wonderful things that native plant communities do, then we can do that on a foundation bed, and this is how we're going to do it. Because people are always saying... I read these wonderful books by Thomas Rader and Claudia West mm-hmm. and Roy Diblick, yeah. and they are awesome books. They're awesome books, but they're like, these things, these ideas are just too big for me. I, I don't know how to actually do this in my small urban lot, and that's what Prairie Up is hopefully going to address. I love that yeah. idea. I love that. Yeah. You know, we even though we don't deal with the general public, when we do, they, you know, they, they, they want guidance. They don't know where to start uh, when they get turned on to it, so I I love that you're giving them a place to start. Mm-hmm. We need to help. We need to help our weekend warriors because I oh, almost yeah. think the weekend warriors are at the forefront uh, of this movement. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree, and it's it's nice that uh, I I don't think y- there's a lot of questions, and 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 a lot of them are ver- a lot of simple questions. They just need guidance. They need someone to talk to, and the fact that it's that that I I just and you mentioned the people that you mentioned do great work and and do have great books and and Tom and I are familiar mm-hmm. with them it's just I I like the concept of where you're going with that I'm excited yeah. I I can't wait for this you just got me like well, well, I'm sitting here smiling we'll see it. <laughs> I we'll see if I can pull it off guys I've got 6 months <laughs> <laughs> you can pull it off I have no doubt I have no okay. doubt <laughs> Tom, were you gonna? So yeah, it'll be a, it'll be a very different book than the New Garden, I think. You know, I, you know, I I love that. I love that it's a different direction. But even I, I'm still pulling things from a New Garden ethic that I hadn't thought about. We, I I, I brought up a couple things that Tom, I'm like, you know, I never thought about mm-hmm. this, or I never thought about that, and how it affects us here, even with normal business. And uh, it, I just like that it's got me thinking, mm-hmm. and that's the main thing. Um, so if you got people thinking and that you have is, their attention, yeah. that's a powerful tool. That's a very big compliment you just paid a writer, so thank oh, you. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. And uh, and the thing I was going to say before is I don't think we'd said the name of the book until Fran just did <laughs> a second ago. So, but we're uh, – Well, how can people – since you mentioned the book in your garden ethic, where can people find that book? Uh, where can they buy it? Uh where can they see pictures of your yard? Yeah. Pictures of my yard. Well, you, you got to start at my website, right? Mm-hmm. Monarchguard.com. So it's monarchgard.com. Just Google Benjamin vote and attractive after that. And you should get right. <laughs> to, I think. Um, so yeah, my, my, my book is for sale there, but maybe, maybe you want to support your local independent bookseller mm-hmm. too and get it through there. Have them order if they don't have it. Um, that's great too. Um, so you can find me on Instagram. Um, Instagram has a lot of pretty pictures with a little bit of ranting. Twitter is massive amounts of ranting. <laughs> Just let it go. <laughs> and then uh, and then face, Facebook. It, it depends on my mood. <laughs> all right. Yeah. So I've got. I've got. Yeah. So it's all over. And we were actually just commenting on your your articles on who's today. Or house. 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 Sorry. Yeah. House. House. Yeah. House. Yeah. And you're very accomplished on there as well, if I if I remember correctly, with the amount of uh, yeah, I readers. was I was I was an almost weekly writer for about five years. I haven't mm-hmm. written for them in a couple of years now, but I'm glad that those are articles yeah. are still up there and being read and being used. Um, that 
it was it was a it, it was a big step for me just learning a lot about the plants and, and landscape design and, and just e- even interacting with people who were leaving comments on the articles really mm-hmm. helped me rethink rethink some things so that was good yeah, and I think that's how I was first introduced to you and, and your ideas was actually through through house and I don't know I don't remember why I was on there but I was probably looking for something for my house and then <laughs> just happened to see find that and uh then found you and then I started following you on Twitter and Instagram and all this other stuff so so yeah it's so we we always save our favorite question for last and it's always the same question and, and we ask it and it's kind of evolved even as, as people have added to it or have different different likes but do you have a favorite native plant Nope. No, really can't have, can't boil it down to one. There's not one that. How did you like it? No. <laughs> it's like it's like people it's like people saying, "What is your favorite dessert?" Or you know, no, um, I I know I, my but... favorite native plant changes every day. Mm-hmm. Every day is it, it, it's a new plant. I, I guess I guess I could say Carex albicans, or I could say. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. Let's just leave it at Carrick's Apple right. for today, and in three hours it'll change. <laughs> well, we, we we never hold anyone yeah. to it. And, and why it's... is that your your yeah. favorite for the next three hours? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe two hours. You changed my mind. Uh, I have I have really lately been been uh, intrigued and interested in, in designing drought tolerant shade gardens in, in dry clay soil because that's certainly the We'll, I have a lot of clients, so I, I'll go over to their house, and they'll be like, yeah, I, I've, got, I've got deep shade, and I've got a lot of clay, so I know we can't really do anything, so let's walk out to the front yard where there's sun, and i got to grab their arm and say, whoa, come back here. <laughs> so Carex albicans is just a wonderful, lovely, beautiful ground cover that, that is going to replace wood mulch applications every year, so you have this living green mulch instead, this, this sedge. Um, it's just, it looks like prairie drop seeds a little bit, but, okay. it, but it's for dry shade clay conditions and it makes a wonderful carpet uh you can have uh uh wild geranium and columbine and uh early meadow root coming out of and it, it's gorgeous it's functional it's good for wildlife mm-hmm. yeah it sounds awesome mm-hmm. i'm not familiar with that one so yeah. now i know what i'm doing it's seen... native to new jersey i just saw i'm looking uh, it up right now yeah i'm not cool. i'm not yeah familiar i with think that it one. is yeah well so, yeah. most of uh, most yeah, from, basically from nebraska there. east it looks like we, cool. you know, a lot, a lot of my native plants are native to you too. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yes, they are. So we've also added in if, because so many people have been birders or, or, or into insects, if you want to include a favorite bird or a favorite insect, you can do that too. If you have any interest, you may not be able to pick one. Favorite insect. Yeah, any anything anything that makes it through our uh, highly industrialized uh, weed mm. spraying society and <laughs> makes it to my yard, I, I'm in love with it. <laughs> we, you know, and it's like like we were saying at, in our opener, like every episode is an eye opener for us, mm. and even just Sam Drogi uh, singing the praises of specialist bees really oh yeah yeah uh and and their I don't want to say their plight, but their struggle. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, once you lose, if the 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 host species for them is suffering, then then they're suffering too. And um, well, and the yes. whole the whole ecosystem suffers after that oh, too. Yeah. So exactly. Um, now Sam Sam's doing great work. I, I love the things mm. he shares online. And he he does great work, and he he says them in a great way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I I appreciate that. 
Well, Ben, do you have any final thoughts for uh, for our listeners at home? I do not. All right. See, I'm really easy. You yeah, guys, you guys want something easy. really philosophical. <laughs> you, you want something deep and impactful. I mean, here, let, 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 let's do this. I'm going to read the par- last paragraph from the first chapter, and that's how we should end, okay? All right. All right. Sounds great. Do you guys know the paragraph I'm talking about on page 25 in your hymnal? <laughs> <laughs> I'm turning to it right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Here we go, everybody. So this, this is what a new garden ethic is. So your garden is a protest. It is a place of defiant compassion. It is a space to help sustain wildlife and ecosystem function while providing an aesthetic response that moves you. Now for you, beauty isn't just petal deep, it goes down into the soil, farther down into the aquifer, and back up into the air and around, uh, for miles around on the backs and legs of insects. You don't have to see soil microbes in action, birds eating seeds, butterflies laying eggs, ants farming aphids. Just knowing it's possible in your garden thrills you. It's like faith and it frees you to live life more authentically. Your garden is a protest for all the ways in which we deny our life by denying other lives. So plant some natives. Be defiantly compassionate. All right. You know, we have to end it that way because I'm not following that up at all. (laughs) I have no final thoughts. (laughs) Ditto. That's my final thought. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, with that, I want to thank everyone for joining us again. Uh, we hope you enjoyed enjoyed listening to and learning about the works of Benjamin Vogt. Uh, many of you have asked us to have him on the podcast for a long time, so we're glad we could deliver on that. Um, and again, thank you guys for listening to Native Plants Healthy Planet, provided by Pinelands Nur- or presented by Pinelands Nursery. You're getting tongue tied. That's, that's the You're tongue twister. I, it gets every me every week, time. Every week, <laughs> every week. So we want also want to thank Stephen Marr again for our theme music. Uh, a huge thank you to Benjamin Vote. Uh, please pick up his book, uh, New Garden Ethic, mm-hmm. anywhere that uh, online or at a local store. Support local businesses and go to a, a, a local bookstore and pick it up. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at Pineland Nursery. You can follow us on Facebook at Pinelands Nursery NJ, Instagram at Pinelands Nursery, YouTube at Pinelands Nursery, and don't forget about our brand new uh, Native Plants yeah, Healthy Planet Facebook page. That that yeah. the group is growing and the conversations have been minimal yeah. but good. For uh, friendly debate. Friendly no, debate. No attacking. I don't know if you heard about this. We're, we're starting our own group so that no one can be mean to me. No bullying. We're not a, We're not allowing any bullies. <laughs> but but uh, you're welcome to join too. So Anyway, you can listen to the Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast directly at www.nativeplantshealthyplanet.com. You can also listen to the podcast on Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, YouTube, or you can just ask Alexa to play the Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast. Make sure you follow, like, comment. Uh, leave a five-star review we appreciate all the feedback um like you said this was a listener request for this interview so if you leave it in a, a five-star review we'll take it seriously so <laughs> but uh, it wasn't a five-star review the last one too by the way yeah the request yeah. for this so so and um one last thing is we're probably as we're entering our busy season at the nursery we're probably uh and and as quarantine things are kind of loosening up we're probably going to go back to our two-week uh schedule um it's been fun doing it once a week but I love we're getting a little crazy here <laughs> i love doing it once yeah. a week but it was it was chaotic getting it ready for today yes so yeah. it, it, it's becoming difficult so so but well thank you guys again for joining us i'm tom and i am fran thanks again everyone we will see you next time until then keep it native
Thank you for listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planted Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Remember to like, share, follow, and comment.